Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. We'd now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jason. I'm Jason. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm also a member of Al Anon. I've been coming to OA since 1990. And uh, I've been in and out of the program in terms of uh, coming to meetings and in terms of abstinence. I don't really count abstinence anymore because uh, OA is such an integral part of my life. It's such a large part of the fabric of who I am. We should close that door probably. Um, oh, it keeps opening? Thanks for sharing. <laughs> um, I came in 1990 because I... Uh, I felt my life was basically unmanageable with food. Uh, I'll start it from the beginning. I come from uh, an incredibly abusive family. My father was in the Holocaust. My mother loved prescription drugs, and my brother's obese. So I guess I fit in. Um, it's a, growing up was very, very difficult because uh, being a Jew, food is all about everything for us. You know, it, it's basically... Uh, even now, my brother, when we get together, where are we going to eat? And the table's never right. <laughs> it's never a good enough table. It doesn't matter where we're sitting. It doesn't matter. It's not good enough. I never choose the restaurant because I don't want to get into trouble. <laughs> um, growing up was really, really hard. I, I remember um, uh, growing up in, uh, late at night, the only time that I really spent a lot of time with my dad, because my dad was like a workaholic, was sitting up late at night eating bread and cheese and, and uh, he would have his borscht and milk and we'd sit there and we'd, and we'd talk so I remember that food for me at that time was a way of bonding with my dad and with my mom we'd eat the Sara Lee's cake out of, the, out of the pan you know so this way it wouldn't count <laughs> as a piece or the uh, pound cake which really doesn't make you gain just one pound, so it's a lie. Um, and I remember all of that being very much a part of feeling uh, loved and, and bonding with my parents. And I also, you know, my mom was a, you know, a traditional housewife in the 60s and 70s because she, would, she didn't work. And when she did start to work, it was so she could have affairs. Um, <laughs> is that part of OA? <laughs> yeah, it made me eat. Okay, it is. Um, and uh, which, with her second husband, who was the butcher. So I guess that brings in the food element. And uh, that's why we always had a lot of meat. And I guess so did she. <laughs> and then she married him. And that, that was another story until number four and five. Or four, three and four. Um, yeah, there were four. Um, and I, I, I remember uh, my mom would make dinner or make make an event, and I remember, you know, she if I wouldn't have more than one portion, it was almost like she was insulted. So it was all a part of everything for me growing up. And I remember 
um, probably, God, I think I was, I would say around 10 or 12, and I remember watching the Mary Tyler Moore show, and I remember that the character of Rhoda was a Jew, and on TV, and had a weight problem, and she was funny, and everybody liked her, and in those days, you didn't see Jews on TV very much, and, and uh, I remember saying, God, that's, that's sort of neat. Maybe I should uh, get fat and eat, and then people would like me. And I know that, that all that had to do with being gay, trying to hide who I was. And I remember thinking, God, if I knew only then that, you know, you had to have muscles to be gay, I, 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 I never would have watched Rhoda. <laughs> And years later, I met Valerie, and I told her that, <laughs> that she ruined my life. <laughs> and uh, I remember, I think for me, being gay and food were sort of synonymous. Uh, I was a way of hiding. If I got fat as a kid, I remember in the eighth grade, I got up to around 215, maybe 215 pounds or so, and I was, uh, I think, five eight or nine or something. I was much shorter than I am now. And I remember uh, gaining all this weight and thinking that, you know, that it would be funny and that I could hide behind this. And all this went in my, ran in my head. It never actually came out. You know, never I talked about things because you just didn't. You know, in my house, there was a lot of yelling and screaming and running down the street with a knife. And um, I didn't really know how to behave. I never learned how to behave until I was like in my 20s. Didn't, I didn't learn how people would react to each other. You know, I, I, in my house you had to yell and scream to be heard. And um, I think when I was around 13 years old, I started to work in a little store on, on uh, uh, it was on uh, Crescent Heights and 3rd Street. It was next to the Frigate, which was a record store for those of you who were young. They actually used to sell a thing called records. <laughs> and uh, this gay guy owned it. I didn't know that. And the next store, they opened a little store called Sadie, which was uh, owned by this woman named Joan and her girlfriend, Dina, who had been a child actor. And I remember that I uh, went to work for them, and I, for a long time, thought Joan was a man. But <laughs> realized that she was a lesbian that just... Uh, looked like a man. Her name was Joe. <laughs> and I started to work there. And it was just interesting because it wasn't like I was looking for gay people. And Joan also had a weight problem. And Joan took me to Weight Watchers. And I lost 40 pounds. And by the time I was in ninth grade, I looked like somebody else. And I remember... And Joan didn't lose the weight, so she was mad at me. <laughs> and, uh, not, and, uh, and I remember... You know, just being able to be with people and feel like I was accepted in some way uh, was a big deal for me. And it's interesting because at the time, like I said before, I wasn't looking for gay people or I wasn't looking for uh, a place, but I just sort of was brought there somehow. And I guess that's uh, God's will of sorts. And and this woman helped me uh, lose weight. And then, of course, when I lost the weight, I didn't really have any place to learn how to keep it off. I didn't have a program. I didn't have um, any tools in life. So I started throwing up. And I threw up until I was around 30. Uh, I was never a daily bulimic person, but I was somebody who uh, threw up, you know, uh, holidays or, you know, uh, 
any time I would eat a large amount, and I did that for a very long time. And I've had, uh, I haven't been perfect in it. I've had uh, slips and and times that were that were hard for me. Um, I've, I don't think I've ever been relieved through the. Uh, of the obsession of food, but what I have is I have a program to rely on when things don't work. Um, and uh, I remember, you know, growing up and being on my own and learning, trying to learn how to find my way. Uh, food, it, to me, is 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 um, it's it isn't really my problem. It's the reason, it's the thing that I use. It's, if you use drugs or if you use alcohol or sex or shopping or gambling or whatever, that's, that's my drug of choice. Um, it, the, the problem is me and, 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 not, and not being able to be honest with myself on who I am and what I've been doing in, in my life and why I'm doing things and, and, being, and taking responsibility for my own behaviors and not acting out. And eating and throwing up is acting out. Because I don't need you know, to eat a lot to live. I only need food to keep myself healthy. And I think when I turned uh, 30, when I came to the rooms in 1990, God, my whole age is going to be on here. I, <laughs> I hate that I'm being taped. Um, they pressured me into it, just so you listening at home will know that a large piece of cake was held in front of me. Um, and I came and I wanted my life to be better as I, as I had, you know, gotten to my 30s and I wanted to find a way to relieve myself from uh, the food obsession because I had gone to Jenny Craig and lost a bit of weight. And so, again, I didn't understand. I thought, you know, that I had to go on a diet. You know, I think all these diets work, and I think they're great. And any diet that you want to go on is going to work. I know everybody likes to call it a food plan. To me, if I can't eat what I want 24 hours a day, it's a diet. <laughs> you can use any word you want to use. To me, it's a diet. And I've been on a diet, you know, before I could walk, I was on a diet. <laughs> so... Uh, I lost this weight, and then I came to OA, so I sort of did it backwards. And I came because I wanted to learn how to take care of myself. And that's what this program really has taught me. It's taught me how to take care of myself. It's taught me how to uh, take responsibility for myself. And I take the steps and the program very seriously. I don't, I believe this is a three-part program. It's spiritual. It's physical. And it's um, mental, especially yeah. And uh, the the mental part is certainly through the uh, uh, camaraderie of the of the people here. It's about making phone calls. It's about writing. If that's something that does something for you, it's about uh, coming to meetings. Uh, I believe if you if you don't do all three things, you're not doing the program. You can say, you're, this is just my opinion. It's not everybody else's, and these are just my opinions. You're not abstinent unless you're doing all three things and, con- and doing it in your life and making OA you know, the fabric of your life. Um, after 18 years of being in this program, that's what it feels like to me. Um, spiritual, mental, and, and the physical part is, yeah, you have to have some sort of food plan that works in your life. You know, they used to say just three meals, nothing in between, and people would eat like three 
you know, I, I, a friend who was in program, he would eat three, like what I call Fred Flintstone kind of meals. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's abstinent, you know. And that seemed insane to me. And I was certainly judging him, but this is a 100-pounder guy. I was never a 100-pounder guy, so I don't know. I don't have that experience. But it didn't seem that, like it was working. So I, by watching other people and being in these rooms, I learned from you. And I said, I've got to get some sort of spirituality and some sort of God and some sort of higher power. I don't really care for the word God as much because it's so used in such a negative way these days. Um, uh I'm finding God in a, d- a different way. I used to think of God as like uh, the, the higher power. It's sort of, sort of a um, like it, we're in this room right now, and we're all together. And this is to me sort of like a God feeling of being all connected and all here, trying to connect in some way, so we can relieve us from our uh, pain in our lives. And this is a way. And once, and if we all connect on this level, it seems to me that. Um, this is a God feeling. This is a feeling of, of that. That's the way I used to see it. But now, being an Al-Anon, which is to me um, an extension of this program, because I think the reason most of us use food as a drug is because of abusive pasts, uh, not, not really dealing with who we are, not dealing with uh, relationships, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, mental issues. And I think that in Al-Anon, what I'm learning is, is his faith, is the third step, is the third step, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God, him, her, it. And that, to me, is probably, that's the hardest step made a decision to turn our lives over to, the wo- over to the care of God. So that was about somebody taking care of us, other than ourselves, a higher power, a faith, a blind faith of sorts. And um, that's, it's been the hardest. That's for me is like this. It's yet, oh, for those of you at home, I'm putting my hand up and down. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's a... Uh, it's, it's the hardest one to believe that I'm going to be taken care of because I didn't grow up in a family of nurturing people. My mother loved, as I said, her prescription drugs, and she'd say, here, Dolly, take this diet pill. I'm going to break it in half. You'll have one. You'll be fine. Take it. You'll lose a couple pounds. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the 60s and the 70s where, you know, my mother was on everything, you know, pain pills, diet pills, things to go to sleep, things to wake up, you know, that, you know, that there's, there's always a pill. That was, that was, you know, the answer in those days. So, yeah, I didn't think of it as child abuse. I just thought of her, you know, as her trying to make me happy, you know, <laughs> as she did with the cake. I mean, I, you know, you give your kids a lot of sugar, they're going to run around the house and go nuts. You give them a diet pill, they're going to run around the house and go nuts. They just eat faster. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that it's real important to um, have a food plan. I think it's really important to know that, you know, if you're going to eat a pile of food that's this high, you know, you're not going to be the weight that you want to be. If that's all you can do right now, that's all you can do right now. But the, the willingness in this program to commit. And what I do, what I learned here a lot, I learned this from all from other people, is if I see something that I want to eat, and then I go through in my head, okay, I need to eat this, 
because I need to fuel my body so I can live and be healthy. And I, when I eat this, if this, if I'm eating something that is unhealthy or something that's fattening or something that's too much, I'm like, do I need to eat this? I go through this whole process in my head, trying so hard, like I'm, you know, uh, some sort of heroin addict, you know. And I go, and I still go through it after 18 years. And I go, okay, then if I do, okay, now I'm eating it, I'm tasting it, it tastes really good, and then I'm done eating it, and then I'm thinking, I ate that, God, I'm mad, and I go through all this, that I ate this, and then now it's going to come out, and it's going to be here, and then no one's going to want to fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm going to be really, really upset that I'm too fat. So I go through this whole metamorphosis in my head of what's happening a lot of times, and I don't always, I don't always uh, uh, succeed at it, but that's what I do. I go through it, the feelings of what I'm going to feel while I'm doing it, and say, is this worth it? Is this worth the feeling, you know, to, you know, to get, okay, there. And then how do I feel when I've overeaten? Do I, you know, what do I feel? Do I feel that, you know, that feeling of, you know, feeling like so full. I remember when I, was, when I was a kid, my uncle would come from New York and we'd eat dinner and he'd, we'd go to Laurie's, which was a restaurant, I think it's still on uh, La Cienica. We'd have prime rib and, and he'd eat and he'd have to unbuckle his pants and he'd sit there and, oh, God, I ate so much. Oh, it's too much. You, do you want dessert? Yeah, give us ten minutes. <laughs> you know, and then... That was sort of, you know, I guess a way of saying, oh, we've experienced such great life together, rather than talking or communicating or hugging each other or laughing. It was all about the food and how, you know, I mean, I always used to say I would love to see a television series about four Jews trying to find a place to eat (laughs) in a car, never leaving the car. (laughs) You know, it always seems so important where we're going to eat, what we're going to eat, how much it's going to cost, is it worth it, what's the rest, where are we sitting, where's the table, just wanted to fucking kill them. (laughs) And I still do, I mean, it makes me crazy, because my brother is obese, and he's still, that's still the way it is, you know, and Costco was invented for those people, (laughs) where everything is so big, you know, I can't have that in my house, I know I can't have, you know, you know, 40 pounds of, you know, salmon in the refrigerator and 400 boxes of rice that you have to make a couch out of because there's no place to sit, you know, with so much stuff. Um, uh, I guess I'm telling you back and forth how it was and and how it is now. And, uh, and I'll tell you more how it is now. How it is now is that I exercise all the time. I exercise, I do Pilates, I work out with a trainer, and I work out at home, and I hike, and I do that because I want to take care of my body, because I'm getting older, and I need to take care of myself, so I feel well. So when I hit 60, if I make it, or 70... I'm not going to be one of those people that can't get out of a chair or can't go to a party because I'm too tired or don't feel well all the time or, you know, or I've, or I've damaged my body so much by overeating and throwing up or being obese or whatever I've done to myself that I don't have a happy, 
in senior life, and that's something that's so important to me as I get older, is taking care of my body. So at least to keep the things of getting older at a bay, at bay. And I think that's it's real important. It's about being loving and caring about yourself. So all the things that I do to keep myself where I want to be is to be loving and generous to myself so I can do the stuff that I want to do. Um, I guess that's, that's how I want it to be. Um, I think it's really, really important to call people and reach out. And that's, that's not always easy to call people. You, did, you know, sometimes it works for some people to call people that they don't know. And sometimes it w- works for people to call people that they do. It's different. Different strokes for different folks. I don't, I don't say everything works for everybody. These are only my things. Um, I think it's, it's very important to do that. I think it's, uh, the writing has never been, been the biggest thing for me. I'm not a real good person at writing my feelings down. I've done it. You know, I've done the steps three times, uh, and I'm doing them again now with an Al-Anon edge to it, but the food still is a part of it for me. Um, if you haven't done the steps and you're an OA and you're abstinent, you're not doing the program. The steps are here. They, I mean, you know, they're very, I mean, God, four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. If you haven't done that, you're not going to be able to stop. It's part of it. Somebody sat down and put this together because it worked. It's the same, as, it's the same concept as going to Jenny Craig. There was someone that worked really hard to make that diet work, and it worked. And if you do do it, it works. If you don't do it, it doesn't work. Um, the other thing, admitted to God and to ourselves and to another person, the human beings for the exact nature of our wrongs. Now, that's really hard. And I do that all the time. I recently um, acted out on a job thing that I wanted. And I, I called someone about a job, and they wouldn't let me talk to a person. And I thought, I was like so taken aback by it. And I think if I would have had time, and I just, and then the other person said that, um, oh, this guy was just uh, very aggressive with me. So I called and I apologized to that person, and I called and apologized to the other person. And, I, you know, that wasn't easy. I don't know if it cleaned up the mess, but it did for me. It's really important to clean up your side of the street. I mean, it really is to apologize for when you've done something. And, to, and it doesn't say to wait three years to do it. It says to, where is it? Um, continue to take personal inventory, and when we are wrong, promptly admit it. Not three years later, not two weeks later, promptly, which means, you know, within, that, within a couple of days. Um, Service. can't talk enough about that. Um, my assistant always says to me, why do you always take calls from people? And with, not just about program, but about career things, or I talk to people all the time, or people that uh, will email me through my website, through my work. Um, I always take the time, even if it's short, to say something to somebody, to uh, be of service, to answer questions, to volunteer, you know, in your community whether it be in your uh, religious community or within your family. Service is really important. I'll I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, When I was uh, in my 20s, um, I think I was in my 20s, I said, God, I've got to do something to get out of myself because my work is about myself very much. 
and I thought, I'm going to go to an old people's home and I'm going to read to old people. That would be really good. And then I realized my grandfather had passed away when I was around 18 and my grandmother lived by herself. I said, I have my own old person. <laughs> I have my own personal old person. I mean, I can help her. So I made a commitment to take care of my grandmother and have her trust me. And this is an old, uh, you know, uh, Jewish woman from, uh, born in Boston, raised by uh, Russian-Polish parents who lived with her husband who, who she never really loved. And everything was half full, everything. Why do you have to go out of town to work? It's so far. <laughs> you know, why, do, do, make sure you keep your wallet closed. They're going to take it from you. <laughs> you know, uh, everything terrible was good. Don't trust it. Why, why do you have to buy him a birthday present? He didn't get you anything. Everything was for, you know, there had to be mine. And... This is a woman who was a um, also a kleptomaniac, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking. I'm not just. You know, we're not talking about salt and pepper shakers and sweet and lows. We're talking about. Uh, she worked at the May Company <coughs> for years in the jewelry department, and she stole everything. And when I cleaned out her apartment, there were literally hundreds of brooches and earrings and scissors and. <coughs> a uh, collection of uh, safety pins and <laughs> crackers from everywhere <laughs> plastic bags like she was actually getting a commission <coughs> of some sort and she, she was a major major klepto I just always thought she was going to go to prison you know can you imagine you know what are you in murder what are you in for you know rape what are you in for oh stealing jewelry you know <laughs> an old Jewish woman stealing jewelry and, and she never got caught which was sort of interesting um, and that's who she was and I took care of her until she died and it, it was not easy she didn't trust anybody and everybody had ruined her life and my brother and my sister were very very uh, she was not the easiest person they were very um, uh, unkind and unforgiving so I had to deal with her pain of other people not being in her life. And my grandmother was a, 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 a large, large compulsive overeater. And until she had gotten ill, she had myasthenia gravis, which is a weakening of muscle disease. Until she had gotten really ill and had to have surgery, she lost. She, that's, that's, she didn't lose the weight until then. She was not able to lose it through any program or any... Uh, uh, thing, but the, the the overeating and the stuff made her sick and uh, made her ill. That she was so obese when I was a kid, when I was very little. And the service for her um, was able to show up for her, able to clean her apartment out and have her put into a, a uh, uh, facility. Uh, uh, um, what do you call it? A, uh, not not the uh, nursing home, but for assisted living, helping her, taking her there, just telling her, telling her she's going, and that's it. You know, and being able to be strong and do that, and telling my mom, you know, it's the worst thing we could do to her. No, and just saying, look, we're doing it. Putting her into a nursing home when she was too old to that, moving her to Palm Springs next to my mom, who both of them 
drove each other crazy, but it was the best thing they could have done to be together for the last years of their life. That ser- service and something that I'm proud of that came from this program that has nothing to do with food. So this program is more than just the food. You know, um, you know, arranging my grandmother's funeral, um, living out her wishes. I also had a friend who was a single mom who had a daughter. And I, until she was like nine or ten years old, I said I was going to show up for her as much as I could until she became like ten or eleven and decided she hated adults. <laughs> Which just killed me. Um, so service has been very, very important in my life. And if you're serving people, you're not going to have time to eat and be depressed and be by yourself. I think isolation is a very large part of this disease and something that they should have another program for it because it's, it's very much part of my, uh, uh, my program is not to isolate and to, to reach out, to become a part of a community, to become a part of something because I didn't grow up in a family of people that nurtured me. My uh, mom is, you know, it's, it's like a showgirl without a show. Uh, you know, um, when I was a kid, I used to say my mother was very hot and all the guys wanted to have sex with her and I wanted to be exactly like her. <laughs> <laughs> and my father, was in the, my father was in the Holocaust, so it didn't matter what I felt or what was going on with me, I should just be happy that the Nazis weren't chasing me. And, you know, there's no way that I can understand. And this is being told to an eight-year-old kid, you know. And so it didn't matter what I was feeling. My feelings were never valid for my dad. I should just shut up and, and, and rough it up and take it. And that's where I grew up. And that's, I think, part of the reason that I overate and part of the reason that food became such a part of my life because it was a way to connect with my parents, which I, I don't think I've ever really thought of talked about, so I've learned something today. It was a way to connect with them both. You know, it's like when I visit my mom in Palm Springs, I usually count, it takes her usually around 30 seconds to ask me what I want to eat. Otherwise, she's calling me on the cell phone and asking me where she should go to get, you know, chops at Costco or what, what can she make me to make me happy. And, she, and she, you know, that's her way of showing her, me how much she cares and loves about me. And, you know, when I was younger, it drove me crazy. And now... You know, I just know that that's who she is, and then I, and I have to let her be who she is and stop judging her and just say, no, Mom, I'm not going to have it. If you ask me again, I'm going to take a knife out and stab you in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I just actually say, I'm not kidding, that's what I say to her. And she just laughs. And, she, and that's, that's the way I grew up. Um, it's 10 after. I love answering questions. I could talk more if you want me to, but I love answering questions, and I would love to do that. If you, does anybody want to ask questions? Is that something you guys would like to do? I pray in bed. Um, I pray when I'm driving. Um, my, my, my sister is a born-again Orthodox Jew, and, and I haven't spoken to her. When she doesn't speak to me because I'm gay. She has four kids that I've never met. So for me, it's sort of wrecked me for religion. And also what's going on in the country now is sort of wrecked me for religion. So I'm not a big fan of organized religion, me. I know that, that kind of blind faith, that kind of tradition, I don't like all, any of that anymore. I think, it's, I think we need to move past that. I don't like the idea of separating people because of a certain thing. I don't like the idea that just because someone's black or this way, they grow up here, that we can't be together. And my whole 
friends are such a benetton out of people that it seems sort of weird not to be able to have them all together. So for me, I pray a lot. I, I, I try to um, uh, pray before I eat in my head. I try to uh, pray in the morning. I, 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 you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And the courage to change the things <laughs> and the wisdom to know the difference. God, I guess I'm a little nervous. I, I do that every day, all the time. All the time in my head. I try to... You know what it is? It's about... Connecting with God is about being in the moment in life. Like when I was making that call and, and mad that this guy... I was not connected to anything. I was just sort of, you know, like on a sugar-free Red Bull. <laughs> you know, I've got to get this done. got to do this. got to do da 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 Nothing is that important. You know, I'm not doing heart surgery. You know, I'm just trying to get a job, trying to be artistic and, and create my life, trying to find the right man to fall in love with before all the straight people take everything away from us. I'll say something, and I don't know where I got this joke. It's the year 2008. If you let us marry each other, we'll stop marrying you. <laughs> the, I, you know, that's something I pray a lot about. I pray a lot for straight people to mind their own business. You know what else is, is I've taught and learned in this program? I've learned it in Al-Anon more than I learned it in OA because I was so obsessed with the food, but it's to mind my own business. I don't need to tell you how to live your life. Certainly this is a situation where you've asked me to tell you just my point of view. This is my point of view and not OA. This is my experience. This is my strength. This is my hope. This is how I live my life. But I'm learning to mind my own business, which is something that, you know, when you grow up being Jewish, is almost impossible. Because <laughs> you need to do this. <laughs> you know. Um, and, and that's what I do a lot, is that I... That's part of my God, is to mind my own business and to just shut up and think before I speak. To actually take a moment and say, okay, what am I, what's happening here? Why is this doing this? You know what I mean? It's to, that's connecting with God. It's to be in the moment. It's to take the, the higher power within me and to uh, just to be present. Because we're so mad. This city is this city can kill us, you know. Everything's got to be done fast. We, we can't even... got to text them and to call them and fax them and email them. And it, 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 you push the send. Oh, shit! That went to everyone. <laughs> you know, there's no... There's, everything is so fast now. I mean, for the younger people, there, there are some of you that that's so a part of your lives, but there was a time when it took longer to do something so you wouldn't fuck it up so easily. <laughs> you know, you had to dial the phone so you, if the dial went back you had time to think, oh God, I know I'm not going to call him. I called him 36 times and hung up, you know. <laughs> you know, you, you had time to think about things. You know. Any more questions? Yes. Thank you so much for your share. Can you talk about how you dealt with grieving in recovery? Like for oh, my grandmother? Just any death you had. Um, or grandson. Being a gay man, you know, I spent the 80s losing people like I was an 80-year-old person. So, death is very much a part of my life. Um, 
You mean being able to let go of it? Um, I mean, I'm really lucky because both my parents are still living. Just how you continue to work your program through it. Oh. Hmm. I guess, to me, being a gay person, I don't have that experience. Death is such a large part of my life that it seems like the natural order of things. I've never lost a child, thank God, or something out of order. But losing a lot of men that I had either been involved with or been or worked with or known in my life seems so much a part of me at such a young age that I think I learned to see it as natural, as a natural progression. So I don't know if I'm the right person to ask that question because I don't have that thing. But when I lost my grandmother, who was like a second mom to me growing up, I mean, you know, my grandmother would sit there with me and make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on white bread and cut the crusts off so I would eat it. You know, so that's, again, food. <laughs> but that's what I remember, and that's why she's a part of me. So I try to remember, and I remember she used to say to me, she said, I know this is hard, but you're going to remember. You're going to remember one day that you're going to be glad that you did all this for me. And that's what I remember every day. You know, is that I showed up for her no matter what. And she was just impossible sometimes. You know, I, I, she lived on a second floor in an apartment, and she, you know, sometimes when I drop her off, she would take forever to walk up the stairs. So I literally would pick her up and just take her. Oh, you can't. But she was, I'd say, I'd pick up weights that are heavier than you. <laughs> because I'm gay. Um, so I, 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 I don't even think of her. I think she's, she was so much of an integral part of my life that I, and so are both my parents now, that um, I don't think of her, I don't think of grieving, I miss her, but I, she still feels so part of me. You know, all so many things that I learned. You know about my both my like my dad has always taught me. You know, he said he would things like in business. He says always get the best people to do things, which has never made me feel competitive. So I always wanted to get the best person. Not like a lot of people will pick people to work with that are below them. I always try to pick someone that's a little that makes me feel like I'm catching up to them. Uh, you know, my mom is so funny, and that's helped me so much in my work. She's so funny and and, uh, and 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 just makes me laugh my head off. So I, you know, I know that when she goes one day, these are the things that I'll remember. So I don't think of the the grieving as much as I think of the things. I guess that's how I do with it. I think of the things that they that, that are part of me now. Over there. Yeah, I was very touched by what you were talking about. Just different things in your family, especially your sister cutting you out and. Um, you know, that resonated with some things in me, and I'm just wondering, how do you deal with, I mean, I kind of have a grief question, but more emotional grief, like, how, how do you deal with, well, first of all, when, when you have, like, crazy people in your family, you know, being able to find the parts of them that are good, how do you find the strength in yourself? That's the question. Well, with my sister, I'm giving you guys my back, so I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> with my sister, it's so strange, and I'm still in a process of learning. You know, when my sister was very young, she was very beautiful, and she would meet a guy, she would fall in love with a guy, and then she would become whatever that guy wanted her to be. 
So when she met this Orthodox uh, Nazi Israeli Jew, um, I thought it was another phase that she was going through, and I didn't take it seriously. And this was like literally, God, like 16 years ago. And it was a long, long time ago. So I didn't take it that seriously, which I regret. But I was younger, you know. And I didn't, and I, and I, and I have since uh, tried to apologize for my side of the street, but we've never, it just has never completely worked out. And maybe that is something I should do in my next step again, now that I'm older and I'm capable of uh, articulating my feelings in a better way. Um, There are just some things that I have no control over. And... You know, I, I, there isn't a week that doesn't go by that I don't have this whole thing in my head about how I'm going to, that I should stand up and I should do this and I should do that and maybe I should write her an email or send her this or, or meet her kids and just show up and do whatever I want or make her pay. I mean, I mean it, it's caused such a, you know, when you, when you don't speak to one person in a family, it's not just, I'm not the only person that's affected. It's put both of my parents into a very uncomfortable situation. It's... It's, it's, it's a very ungenerous thing to do. You know, her husband once said to me, I can't let you near my children because you will influence them. And I thought, God, he's right. I'm not, I certainly can't talk someone into being gay, but I, can, but I mean, if you have an uncle that um, has the qualities that I have as a human being, I'm assuming that if you're in this cult, you'll probably want to be attached to something other than that. I mean, because to me, that's what it is. They they sequestered them in this environment of not being able to communicate with other people. So I think he is right, and if that's not what he wants for his children, certainly I'm the wrong person to have him talk to, because I'm going to speak my mind. I mean, I I remember once... um, It was a Passover dinner, and my mom came to spend time with them and she always stays at my house and you know I remember sitting at home that night by myself it was the Passover dinner and I remember you know the minute she came back she she said I can see you you know you're not you're upset you know which is not like my mom because usually it's all about her (laughs) and um, you know I just so I wailed like I hadn't in such a long time about it and I remember thinking, you know, okay, so I got that out, and that's how I dealt with that. I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, one day my parents will be gone, and one day I think, you know, hear a knock on the door, and there'll be one of her kids that somebody got rid of because he wasn't doing whatever he was supposed to do, or you know, or fell out of, you know, line, or didn't say hi Hitler, or whatever they're doing at that house. But uh, this is so terrible. As you see, I have a little bit of resentment that I need to write about. <laughs> so I'm in, I, in, in, with her, I'm still in that process. I'm still in that process. Because I had, I had to deal, you know, for you know, 20 years with my grandmother feeling, why doesn't she come to visit me? I, I have to, I, when you're the one that shows up for somebody, you have to deal with the other people that don't. You know, you have to deal with that. So you have to, everything affects everybody else. The dominoes affect. I still have to work on it. I'm still a work in progress in terms of my sister. I don't know, you know, the show's not over yet, you know. So I I feel sad about it sometimes. I want to know, you know, what I first did is I didn't want anybody to speak about them to me. 
at first. And then, of course, there's no, my mother can't stop talking. <laughs> there are no boundaries or no edits. Or, it's, a, it's like diarrhea. <laughs> you know, is this appropriate for this whole thing? <laughs> but I mean, there's no way to stop her. So, I, and there's no way to stop my dad. And then they, then they would not talk about it. And then you'd know they weren't talking about it. So it was creepy, weird. So I just let, so I just let it go, and said, okay, this is a way of me doing service to my parents, to let them speak as their grandparents and, and rather their their grandchildren, and not make it about me. There are some things that happen in life that happen with other people that don't happen about me. So it's about being. Uh, gracious and, and supportive of, of others. And that's what I try to do. I don't always, uh, you know, I say the wrong thing sometimes. Sometimes just the word Nazi comes out. <laughs> or something. It's just terrible. But it's my, the humor is my way of dealing with it sometimes. But less and less, because I think that's also what my sister's afraid of. She's afraid of that I will say something inappropriate, you know, because she hasn't had a sense of humor since 1977. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Anyway, I think this is the end. Is there is there anybody else that has a burning question? Is that the, that's the end. Okay. Well, thank you for letting me stay.